Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Fenty Beauty, and Expedia. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Tampa, Florida. Here we are in the, in the, in the state of Florida's third largest city. Uh, and what's really cool about it is it really goes back to the year 1521 when it began as an Indian fishing village. And so much of Tampa has still been preserved and very cool place to visit. And in fact, we're coming to you from the Epicurean Hotel, which is a great concept for a hotel because... Imagine a hotel where you can get up close and personal in the kitchen because that word implies what you're going to be doing here. Great meals, great learning of cooking, and great opportunity for hands-on involvement. Joining me now is a guy I was hanging out with yesterday, uh, walking the streets of, uh, of Ybor City, not too far from here, all part of Tampa. Uh, Wally Reyes, i got to ask you, it's hard to, for me to, to, to even conceptualize that in just that small area of town, You've got seven different neighborhoods, or maybe even eight. Yes, that's a fact. Okay, name them. Okay, you have the uh, Hispanic community, you have the Cuban community, you have uh, uh, Italians, you have um, Irish, you have uh, Chinese. Germans. Germans, Jamaicans, and black Americans, and white Americans. Everybody. 
everybody, a melting pot of different ethnic groups. And for those people who don't know Ybor City and go there for the first time, you might think it's just cigars, bars, and tattoo parlors, but it's way more than that. In fact, we, we hung out at the Columbia, right? Right, that's right. I mean, that's the largest Spanish restaurant in the world and probably the largest restaurant that I know of in Florida. I mean, they have how many different dining rooms? I think, what, seven or eight? It has eight. Eight. I mean, oh, my God. But you go there for what? You go there for the 1905 salad, and you, and you go there for the Cuban bread. The, the paella and the, and the Cuban sandwiches. Yes. Yeah. They're Ex notorious for that. Yes. Exactly. Now, one of the things you and I hung out and did was most people, especially in this era where people think of going to Cuba, you can actually go to Cuba in Tampa, can't you? Yes, indeed. You can walk to Cuba being in Ybor City. Right, because there's the Jose Marti Park. Yeah, the Marti Park uh, is a, a park dedicated to Jose Marti back in 1956. And at the time was also given as a token of appreciation to the Republic of Cuba. So entitlement in the city county records established that that park belonged to the, uh, to the Republic of Cuba part of the United States, but belonged to Cuba, yes. So all these years we've had an embargo, all you had to do is go to Ybor City, walk across the street, you were in Cuba. You technically are in Cuba because it has the same entity as an embassy. Cuba has two embassies, one in Washington, and technically the Marti Park is the second embassy <laughs> in Cuba. Now, you know, when we talk about all the neighborhoods just in Ybor City, right, you've got all the clubs, the old social clubs, right? And, th and what was interesting about the social clubs is that they really were providing one-stop uh, shopping. They just didn't have, they just weren't a place for entertaining. They provided health care. They provided a place to meet, right? Yeah, basically the origin, uh, the origin of that was called a mutual aid society in which they can provide you, first of all, health insurance. They provide credit union. They provide also uh, death insurance. They provide. They also own a, fun uh, a funeral service, and they also provide. Talk about one-stop shopping. Yeah, one-stop. You uh, is uh, from the womb to the tomb, basically, <laughs> because they own the cemeteries too. So, <laughs> well, the interesting story is that when they when they started the whole concept of Medicare, they actually went to these uh, social clubs to ask how they were able to pull it off with all the medical insurance. Yes, at the time, what happened was that uh, Washington wanted to create a Medicaid Medicare, so they came in 1961 looking to see how a community with about uh, 25,000 people, they all have full medical HMOs by, 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 run by the private sector, which was the clubs or mutual aid societies sponsored also by the persons and the cigar factories. Now, the cigar factories are to me fascinating because they really control all the tobacco, don't they? They control the manufacturing of premium handmade cigars basically worldwide. If you go anywhere in the world and you say you're from Tampa, capital cigar of the world. Yes, they control that. Now you have what, Garcia Vega? I saw that building. Yeah, you saw, you saw only a handful of them because you only have today 24 buildings. But at peak, we used to have 234 factories. 234 and, factories? and You're kidding. Yeah, and over 30,000 master cigar makers. And today? Today we have 12 cigar master cigar makers and 23, um, the witnesses, the buildings, 23 buildings. And tell left. me about the world's longest cigar, please. Okay, that uh, was done by me uh, back in 2006, and I did the first record Guinness in the United States for a 101 feet long cigar. And then in 20, I took the title from Cuba. And um, second time in Cuba in 2009, and I did the rec record for uh, 196 feet, three and three eight inches. Now, you don't actually smoke that thing. Well, technically not, but yes, indeed. The Guinness record uh, judge decided to cut sections of 10 inches. Well, but when you do 196 feet, you can't, like, light that one up. No, no, no. Toto, how do you feel? 
pretending we're not in Kansas anymore. guest is fifth generation of a restaurant that is totally an institution here. It's the largest Spanish restaurant in the world. It's the oldest restaurant in the state of Florida. It's called the Columbia. And when I say it's a big restaurant, I'm going to let my next guest explain this. Andrea Gonsmart, welcome, first of all. But second of all, how big is your place? Hello, Peter. I'm very happy to be here. We are actually 15 dining rooms, 1,700 seats, and we encompass a whole city block. Wow. And how many people service the 15 separate dining rooms? A whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and does each dining room have a, a separate reason for being? I mean, if I'm coming to the Columbia restaurant, right? Yes. Which, rest, which dining room do I want to be in? Well, you know, everyone has a favorite dining room, and it depends on what you're there for. Um, if you want a more casual atmosphere, you start where the original restaurant was, which is the cafe. Um, if you want to see the flamenco show, then you're going to sit in one of our um, finer dining um, dining rooms, like the Don Quixote there, the Cibone. If you want to feel like you're outside in a courtyard in Spain, then sit in the patio. Now, you know, because you were there, um, I actually got on the stage and did a little flamenco. Oh, yes. I saw your moves. Yes, and, and the police were called. <laughs> no, no. But at least not the orthopedic surgeon either. So I'm sort of like, okay, I survived. You did good. I did, I did okay. But... You started small, didn't you? And then you just kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what, the thing that I like most about the Columbia is that it's still family-owned. It's still it's, It hasn't become a chain that way. You still are run by the same family, fifth generation. It was my great-great-grandfather who founded the small corner cafe that was serving the cigar rollers of Ybor City. And the cigar rollers are still there. They are. Well, they're not as many, but they're still there. I know. Um, you know, we're known as the cigar capital of the world. Exactly. But the actual food there goes back to your, what, grandmother's recipe? Well, the recipes go back to my great-great-grandfather, yeah. um, you know, to my ancestors before her. She just perfected them. Like the deviled crab. Like the deviled crab. Okay, explain that to, to me. Okay, a deviled crab is going to be crab meat that is sautéed with onions, garlic, tomatoes, um, green peppers, um, sautéed up, lots of other seasonings. Can't give you can't give you the exact. It sounds like KFC herbs and spices. Exactly. I, I, okay, okay <laughs> I got it. But then, but then on your menu, they're they're actually deviled crab croquettes. Croquettes. Yes. It makes it easier to share. But um, they're small. Exactly. So that way you'll get a plate of little miniature croquettes. So that way, if you're a table for four, you don't have to cut up your big croquette. You've got little ones that everyone can have a little. But bite. if you know what to order, like I do, and you, if you know somebody like you, <laughs> you go back in the kitchen and you get the big one. Yes. They're yeah. both good. Now like the, I said, one's easier is, to share. Is, this is the wild thing. It takes three days to make one. It does. Well, if you want a really good devil crab croquette, it's going to take you three days. Wow. You can't rush something that's so awesome. So what would you say, other than that, is your signature dish there? You know, it depends on what you're looking I mean, for. I, I, I mentioned this already earlier in the show. I, mean, I like the 1905 salad. The 1905 salad is fabulous, and we're probably best known for that. Um, if you're looking for something hot, you can't go wrong with the paella, which is the national dish of Spain. Do you know what a paella is? Why don't you tell me? Because everybody has a different definition. Okay. Well, it's going to be, well, technically you use white rice, but it ends up being yellow rice because of the saffron. 
Um, and you can make different versions of paella. The one we do at the restaurant has chicken, pork. And by the way, when I see people making paella, I was, I was just in, in, in Barcelona, and I mean, they have a, they have a, a metal uh, uh, skillet. You can make a small paella. You can make a ginormous paella. We're talking ginormous. I mean, you can make them really, really big. I mean, you really need big. like a shovel to stir it. Uh-huh. Right? We've made ones that I think serve like 200 people. But we find that the smaller you make them, the better quality you get. Um, you know, that way you can control your portions of what you get. Chicken, pork, shrimp, fish. Okay, but we start with the rice. Start with the rice. Well, actually, you start with onions. You create your sofrito. You do your onions, your green peppers, your tomatoes, garlic. I mean, that's the basis of almost any Spanish re- recipe, I think. Um, and then you're going to add your chicken and your pork. You're going to season that up real good. Then you're going to add your shrimp. You're going to add your clams, mussels, scallops. All depends on what you want to put into it. But you add your seafood second after you're adding your meat. But the traditional definition of a paella is everything but the kitchen sink. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, right? Because I like to put green beans in mine. I put chorizo in mine. You can put lima beans in it. You can go anywhere you want with it. You know what? You were doing great until you got to the lima beans. I hate lima oh, beans. Oh, I love lima beans. I How love could you like lima beans? I've loved them since I was a little girl. <laughs> You see, when I was a little boy, my mother would cook lima beans, and she'd put them on the plate, and she'd say to me, I'm, I'm not making this up, she'd say, you have to eat that because of all the starving people in India. <laughs> I think we all oh, heard right, that. Right, right, we all heard that, right? And I take a look at this, and I take one bite of lima beans, and say, now I know why they're starving, because they hate these too. <laughs> my little girl even likes them. Come on. Really? Yes. One of the very few vegetables well, but, she but, likes. No, no, but if you season the lima beans well enough, it's like cardboard. It will taste okay. If you put butter and seasoning on anything, it's going to taste good. Exactly. All right. I got that concept. All right. So we've got the paella. The paella. Yeah, the paella. We've got the 1905 salad. The 1905 salad. Of course, the Cuban sandwich is another thing we're known for and Ybor City is known for. Exactly. And you're open seven days a week? Seven days a week, 365 days a year. Do you ever close? No. We've only closed once in the time that I've been alive, and it was only for a half a day, and it was the day my, um, my grandmother's funeral was. Wow. Wow. And she probably, from her grave, said, why did you close? Exactly. She's like, what are you guys doing? (laughs) Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Joining me, we always like to ask the locals every time we go somewhere. And I've been coming to Tampa for 40 years. I love the airport here, by the way. Uh, it works. Uh, but it's more than just the airport. It's the entire scene. And people don't realize that Tampa is the, uh, the third largest city in Florida. It's the largest city in southwest Florida. And it's got so much to offer that goes way beyond what it used to do. Things have really changed here in Tampa. And somebody who knows about that more than anybody else is my next guest, Sharon Wynn, who, who writes for the, uh, for the Tampa Bay Times. Yes, thank you very much for being here. Uh, yeah, and Tampa Bay Times is the largest paper in Florida. So we have... Largest all, paper in Florida? In all of, and actually the southeast. And even bigger than the Miami Herald? Yes. Wow. Yes. Uh, that's, of course, probably a tribute more to the <laughs> decline of newspapers than... <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. But we have a very um, engaged, active readership who uh, rewards us for... Uh, following us and we have a productive website called tampabay.com slash things to do which is what i do i kind of all right we have so, lots so, to do in this so area. reward me for having you on the show and yes. tell me stuff that's not in the brochures that's not in the guidebooks i mean look when well, i first came here there are the institutions like burns restaurant which mm-hmm. you got you got to go at least once you mm-hmm. have to yes absolutely just to see the wine cellar. And we have a terrific dining scene that's one of the things is uh yeah. 
We have a top 50 restaurants list we have every year that uh, is constantly evolving. We have lots of James Beard award-winning uh, restaurants. But I would say, you know, one of the first things that rings here is the weather. Our beaches, you know, everyone talks about the beaches, but you think about the fact that there's this uh, guy named Dr. Beach. He does this national I list. I know of, him. Uh, I know him, sure. Three or four of our beaches that he put up, went ahead and put on his Hall of Fame list because he got tired of putting them on there. After you've been on there three or four times, he went, okay, let's look, give room for somebody else because we have this sand that's like baby powder, fine, soft, white sand. You don't really find anywhere else. And the coast here is the Gulf of Mexico, so it's, you don't go surfing. But it's this nice, calm, uh, you know, waves. But and you do go fishing. You go fishing. Yeah. It's a little warmer. It's, you know, it's, it's just a nice, relaxing. We have just a beautiful string of beaches on our coast, which I think is, I mean, obviously that's not, it's, it is, it wouldn't say it's uh, off the beaten path, but in some sense, just think about that. that. You just don't really have that anywhere else. It's that, that physical. But, but most, of, most people in the United States who are geographically ignorant, let's call it what it is, mm -hmm. They don't think of Tampa as a beach. Right, right. Obviously, they, they you don't. do have to go a half an hour to the coast to get to the beach. But right. also, Tampa itself has the riverfront, which we have this really neat waterfront now called the Riverwalk. Oh, I know. It. It's this continuous sidewalk along the river. When I just did this last week, actually, as a local, we had the day off for Veterans Day. So we, there's these bikes you can rent downtown Tampa, eight bucks an hour. And you grab a bike, and you bike along the riverfront. And there's this really pretty stretch, especially between the Tampa Museum of Art and in front of the Curtis Hickson Waterfront Park, that's just gorgeous, and you can see the minarets of the University of Tampa across the river, and there's some there's some restaurants along it. It's a really nice little way to spend your day. Not bad. That's one of my favorite little. Not bad. Well, the other thing is this: you can go take a water taxi. Yeah. Yes. That's cool. Yes. And you see those little ones with like a bicycle on the water? It's like a petty. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> that look. I think that looks harder than it probably. <laughs> I think that's harder than it looks. <laughs> it is. It's, it's great exercise. But I mean, when you go to the water taxi, people want to go see. You know, oh, show me Derek Jeter's house. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Of so course. you go by and see Derek Jeter's house, right? <laughs> exactly. And you're trying to see if Hannah's out there. You know? Right. Exactly. But yeah. but give me an idea beyond the, the normal touristic stuff. Right. Give me an idea. You, well, you mentioned I mean, the, the, the 50 restaurants. Give me like your top three that nobody knows about. Well, we got some new. We had a, actually a brand new ramen uh, restaurant that just opened in. Uh, Seminole Heights, and I'm, uh, you're catching me off guard. I remember the name? Okay, I will say this: Tampa.com/slash/things to do. We have Laura Riley's top 50 restaurants of the year, and that's in there. All those are some of those restaurants that are—they're all independents. Even this is the home of chains. Hooters was born here. Outback was born here. We have a really Wait good a let, independent. Let, hold it, let, let, what? Let, don't mention that Hooters is born. I'm here. just telling you. I know we have to overcome that. People think of us as a chain area. Right. We have a really great independent dining scene. Lots of James. All right. So where do you hang out? Um. Uh, lots of times. Uh. I. We were just like I said. We just were the Riverwalk. Ulele is a new restaurant that's along the riverfront. Um. Uh, the people behind the Columbia restaurant opened that. It is a wonderful new restaurant. Well, you know, the Columbia is an interesting story. It's the largest Spanish restaurant in the world. Oh my gosh! And it's and it's yes, it is. I did not realize that. It I should is. know that. And it, it is, I believe, the largest restaurant in Florida, and it's the oldest. Yes, I mean, yeah, old for I sure. Mean, they have, what, have six or seven different dining rooms. I mean, yes, it's yeah, crazy. well, they're all locations too, and they have this really kind of cool thing they do every year called 1905 Day, where you can get 1905 prices. It's you know obviously lines out the door. You Although can, you know what they do have there, which is really good, yeah. the 1905 salad. Oh, isn't it the best? It's the best. It is the best salad. It's like the whole meal on its own. You see, what you do is you just go there. Order a 1905 salad. I do mm -hmm. it with the shrimp, and then add the Cuban bread. Yes. Right. Yes. People don't realize there are bakeries around this town, like La Segunda. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. It, they still do it the old-fashioned way too, with the palm frond down down the middle of the bread, where they pull it. Oh, it's just the, well. That's the thing is, if you come here, you have to have a Cuban sandwich, which we have a big feud okay, with, with Miami. Ex explain what a Cuban yes. sandwich is. Yes, we have a feud in Miami right now, by the way, because Miami insists they have the original Cuban, and you know. 
Our Cubans. See, I was introduced who, to food in Miami at La Carreta. Right. How right. could you not? Right. Right. right of course. They even have it at the airport. Right. Okay. Exactly. But now talk about the Cubans. The, the real Cubans. The Tampa sandwich. Cuban sandwich absorbed the roots of the other immigrants in Tampa, which would be the Italians. So there's also a Cuban sandwich has the the, the roasted pork, ham, uh, pickles, Swiss cheese, mustard, and the Tampa one also adds some uh, salami on there, and it's on Cuban bread. As if that's the ham and the pork weren't exactly. enough. Exactly. Yeah. So Tampa gets all fussy about the fact that I think they have the original one because who put salami on it? But okay, but it's better <laughs> with the salami on it. It's a much better sandwich. And when you do a blind taste test, I'm sorry, it's a better sandwich. And we actually have a Cuban sandwich smackdown every year now in, in, in Ewer City, which is really fun. Get all the different Cuban restaurants uh, competing. And some of them, even the little ones, have won in the, in the past years. No lettuce and tomato on this sandwich, by the way. I've seen some that try to pass themselves off as a Cuban sandwich. No. So. You know, I'm one of those guys. You could, if you're going to do that much stuff on the sandwich, yeah. you do not need the lettuce. No, exactly. Oh, and it's just so delicious. It's warm. Oh, that's great. The other good thing is a grouper sandwich. You can only get grouper here in the Gulf, and it's uh, such a wonderful, firm fish. Uh, now, is this fried? Uh, yes, you can get grilled or fried. It's, it's a firm right. enough fish. You can do many things with it. Um, one of my favorite places is over in St. Pete uh, on Paso Grill. This is a place called the Hurricane, and they have these really. They only get the. <coughs> sorry, coming off the boats, you know. And by the way, you mentioned St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. Not a difficult drive from Tampa. No, it's right no. across the bridge. It's such a, yeah, 45 minutes basically yeah. to get to the beach of it. I mean, just to get into the heart of downtown, right, right on the highway. And that's actually a wonderful downtown. The Dali Museum is there in downtown. Oh, St. we Pete. we sp we spent some time at the Dali Museum. It's wild. <gasps> Largest collection of Dal Salvador Dali paintings outside of Spain. And the, and they do building it and they, the building itself is they've surreal. Done, they've it's done a great job. Uh, um, and, and we've met with the curator there for many times, yes. Henry. What a great guy. I love like the avant garden. They have these uh, plants growing up the wall. No, and you, know what, you know what I like at the Dolly Museum? The car. Oh, yeah. The with car. The, with the rain coming inside. The rain coming. Exactly. It's raining inside the car. You can't, yes. I mean, it's like, talk about, look, the one thing you'd say about Salvador Dolly is he had an amazing sense of crazy humor. Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get some motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And whatever comes our way. Yeah, darling, go make it happen. Take the world in a loving place. You were asking 10 years ago. Uh, to describe the food, the food seed in Tampa, I would have said uh, steak, deep fried, see you later. A couple of seafood dishes, goodbye. Now, it's, a, it's been a revolution here in Tampa, um, and for all sorts of good reasons. And part of the people who are leading that revolution is my next guest, uh, Jeannie Perola, who's the executive chef and owner of, of Edison. Hi, Jeannie. Good morning. Was I right? I've always felt Tampa was getting ready to happen. I've been working on it myself personally for a really long time. So 10 years ago, I kind of understand what you're saying. But for me, Tampa's always been on fire. Right. So people didn't know about it? Maybe. And, uh, but you, you'd agree, though, that, that 10 years ago, I mean, you had, you know, with all due respect to the folks at Burns, there was Burns and there was Burns. Yeah, there was, uh, I mean... Burns is an institution. It's, it's a legacy. It is. It is. Uh, and and we, we take nothing from them because they're still going strong. Would. No, never. Um, I mean, that place has been going so long. I mean, you, know, you just go in the wine cellar. It's a great first date place. 
You know, you go to the dessert room and it's you see... It's kind every- of a great everyday place. Ooh. Oh. But, I mean, you go there and you see all the first daters up in the dessert room. Like, I get it, I get it, I get it. Okay, fine. But now we're going beyond that, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the foodie culture has certainly caught up with everybody. And lucky for us, uh, Tampa certainly is on that list now. So we're thrilled to be a part of it. And how did you make that happen? I think it's been a low slog, a slow sl- a slog kind of a thing. It's kind of uh, chefs like myself who have been studying their craft. And for us, there's a wonderful regional expression here. You know, Tampa has its own cuisine. We have a lot of our own cultural elements that kind of are, you know, can be reflected in our expression in our menus. So that's what's made it so fun for me. And you're a local. I am local. Hello. <laughs> I'm as local as you get, no question. All right, so how did, how did the change come about in terms of sourcing food, in terms of figuring out which choices you're going to make? I, I just think that the guest, the average diner, has become so much more sophisticated. And with that level of sophistication, the, the needs have changed. And there's been a lot of great restaurants that, that have been able to meet those needs and open up. And you've been to New York. You've, you've cooked at the, at the James Beard House. I just did that. Yes, I did. By the way, for people who don't know about the James Beard House, I'm old enough to have had dinner with James Beard. That's awesome. Um, and the house is an institution in New York. It's sort of like you, you've, you've been asked to cook there. You've, like, hit the big time. But then again, you have to cook there. And it's not the biggest kitchen, is it? No, it's, no, it's, it's it, not a big kitchen. You're, you're challenged in that house. Because pe- you, you're cooking for like 150 people. And, uh, it has a lot of firepower, though. Oh, yeah. It's a powerful little kitchen. It is. But, but it's, it's, you know, it's in the village. It's downtown. But the point is, if you've been asked to cook there, you really have to be organized. Because yes, you do. that is not an easy kitchen to cook in. It is tight. Yeah. So tell me what's going on on your menu right now that's reflective of the revolution we're talking about. Well, uh, you know, for us, uh, I'm always trying to express, uh, you know, the region that I live in and the region that I was born in. So I was born in Ybor City. I grew up in Tampa. And then my So dad, there's cigars on the menu. Th- there's a cigar <laughs> baron, a cocktail, um, which is a pretty awesome drink. Um, what, what's in that? Uh, it's, it's a... Uh, it's a dark liquor drink. It's kind of a bourbon drink that uh, it has to be a dark yeah. bourbon drink. Yeah, and then they they use a cinnamon stick and light it up, and actually they, you swirl it in there, and it kind of like gives some smoky cinnamon to the drink, and it really looks like a cigar. So it's a and great. And by the way, since you, you mentioned Ebor, I mean for those people who don't know Ebor City, I mean it's got such great history to it, mm-hmm. but it's not just cigar bars and tattoo parlors and bars. There's so much history there because you got so many different neighborhoods. Well, there is. I mean, Ebor City has its own. Um, has had many renaissances, so to speak, and it's still chucking along. I mean, Ybor City is is our, uh, you know, French district. You know, Latin Quarter is our French Quarter. Right, but you got the Cubans, you got the Spanish, you got the Germans, you got everybody down there. You got the Italians. It is a melting pot, yeah. no question about it, and exactly. that makes food exciting too. All right, so let's go back to your your neck of the woods at the Edison. What are you bringing on the menu right now that you wouldn't have done ten years ago? You know, I've always been very adventurous. I don't know that I could say that I wouldn't have done it 10 years ago. But, you know, the different uh, you know, resources that we have and the different products that we have. And, you know, for example, we, we are, we're using Florida, you know, Florida Everglade frog legs. And right now it's stone crab I only, season. By the way, I only eat Florida Everglade uh, frog legs. You know? You're obviously a man of exquisite taste. Thanks. Thank you so much, yes. And does it taste just like chicken? Uh, you know, it does. <laughs> it, it, it tastes like chicken with a crab texture, crab meat texture. I always think the texture is what's so beautiful about frog legs, not just the flavor. So if you're looking for frog legs, you go to the Edison because they've got the Florida Everglade frog legs. Mm-hmm. Okay, what else you got? 
Well, we, we have, uh, you know, right now our dishes are spanning kind of the culture that I've been referring to. We have a lot of Cuban and Spanish influence. We have a lot of uh, um, Korean and Asian influence. And we have a lot of Greek and Mediterranean influence. Our, our menu is very global, and we kind of, you know. Because you can. Because you well, can. we can, and we want to study everything. I mean, that's the thrill of being a, sh- a chef is that you, you're never bored. You're always able to study and continue to learn and hone your craft. And if you order the, the, the frog legs, is there a special sauce that comes with that? Well, the frog legs that we're, we just ran on the menu recently were a little bit different. It was kind of play on yellow rice and chicken, arroz con pollo. So it had a, a saffron uh, chicken. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. As I've said earlier in the show, but it, it bears repeating, most Americans are geographically ignorant. They have no idea where Tampa is. They have no idea what Tampa is. They have no idea how much water there is in Tampa. But my next guest has a little bit of an idea of, of that because he's the executive director and he kind of hangs out at the Riverwalk, don't you? Absolutely. Sean Drinkard, explain the Riverwalk because, you know, I got out on the river yesterday, you know, and, and there really is so much water to see. Absolutely. The downtown Tampa sets on a peninsula. And, uh, you know, historically, downtown was a industrial port. And in 1976, uh, Mayor Poe really kind of set the stage as a bicentennial project saying the waterfront needs to be open to the public. And while that idea formed, It was an asset. It was an asset. It was an asset. It was an underutilized asset that as the industry changed, then the city saw the opportunity for the waterfront to go back to the public. So it went from being just an industrial place where some ships came in to someplace that people could access and actually have a good time. Yes. So how did the Riverwalk start? So the idea of the Riverwalk really began in 76 as this bicentennial project. Uh, but it wasn't So we're really, talking almost 40 years ago. Right. 40 years this year coming up. Uh, but it was really 2000 to, to 2012 that the Riverwalk we see today was built. And now it's 2.3 miles of waterfront, seven different city parks, a uh, number of cultural institutions has, has all really been developed in the past 12 years. So you can walk it, you can bike it. You can walk it. You can bike it. Uh, there's a number of uh, pedicabs along the way. Uh, I'm shocked. <laughs> it's, uh, you, can, you can take boats. There's a variety of boat options as well. And what's the most surprising thing when people get down to the Riverwalk that they're not expecting? It's, it's the view of the city from the water. It's that perspective that even longtime residents didn't realize we had here until the opportunity arose. Even the locals. Even the locals, people that have lived here all their life, when they get on that waterfront and turn around and look back and see our city and realize what, the, what asset we have here. And then, of course, they, they utter those four words, I had no idea. Absolutely. <laughs> You've had a lot of restaurants grow up there, too. Absolutely. There's, uh, there's currently uh, eight major restaurants on the waterfront. I think many more will come. Uh, and these aren't chains. These are locally operated. Right, right. The Gunsmart family in the Columbia restaurant, uh, new concept, uh, Ulele, uh, they now anchor the Riverwalk. So at the Tampa Bay History Center, you get a taste of the Columbia with the Columbia Cafe. You can go to the other end of the Riverwalk and their new concept, Ulele, which is a, 
uh, native concept of, of native foods uh, is on, on the north end. And help me with a sense of place here. You still have the cruise ships come in, but they're coming in at a different, in a different area, aren't they? Correct. Correct. So on the uh, eastern end of downtown is the current operating port. So we have the cruise ships coming in on the east end, and really from the edge of the port, uh, then the river walk begins. And we have 2.3 miles looping downtown, and then really coming into the north end, where we have some of Tampa's oldest neighborhoods, including Tampa Heights, where it currently terminates. Now, it's still a work in progress. Yes, yes. What are you working on now? Uh, the, the current piece right now is our northern segment, and it runs from the Straz Performing Arts Center up to Eulalie. Uh, we've always had access there. It's always been a connection into Tampa Heights neighborhood, uh, but the, the current uh, project is, is modifying to the 15-foot standard and the, uh, the site furnishings and all those elements that, that are part of the Riverwalk. Galleries? There's a number of cultural institutions, Tampa Museum of Art, um, Florida Photographic Museum, uh, about six or seven different cultural groups. And any charitable work? Uh, the the uh, Friends of Tampa Riverwalk has uh, raised about $2.5 million that have supplemented uh, federal and, and city funds to, to build what we have today. What did you have to do for, in terms of the water itself? Did you have to reroute anything? Uh, no, there was, there was no rerouting. Uh, the, the channel itself, the navigable channel running down the Hillsborough River was narrowed because uh, there were a few unique areas where uh, uh, various buildings were built over time and there wasn't public access. So the river walk then bumps out into the water. Uh, so the channel shifted here and there to allow these kind of bridges to bridge park by park and then give more access to the waterfront. But if you want to take a water taxi, no problem. Absolutely. That's the cool part. I was out on the water taxi yesterday. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, sure. It's, it's the best. It's, look, I always like to ask a local, right? Yeah. In most cities, you ask a taxi driver. No, here you ask the water taxi driver. Sure. Because then they're going to tell you stuff, and it goes beyond just going to see Derek Jeter's house. Right. You know, right. I mean, all right, I've seen the house. Got it. Done. But, I mean, there's other stuff to see. If you are sitting next to a small child or someone who is acting like a small child, please do us all a favor and put on your mask first. When you're at a hotel called the Epicurean, the challenge, of course, is for a chef, you're at the Epicurean. You've got to really deliver. And our next chef does. Chad Johnson, how are you, sir? Good. How's it going? All right. Now, not often do you see a chef from Paducah, Kentucky. <laughs> there's a couple of us out there, but yeah, there's, uh, there's not a lot of us floating around. So please tell me that all of your dishes are not wrapped in bourbon. No, um, I have been known to use a, a ham hock or two in my cooking. but uh, Just a ham hock or two? Just every once in a while. Right, and not too many mint juleps. Uh, only on Derby Day. Not even people in Kentucky drink them year-round. <laughs> only on Derby Day. That's right. They sit there on the infield and sing, oh, my old Kentucky home gets com completely smashed and go home. Pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. It's, it's, and call it a sport. Of course. They're not there for the race. They're there for the drinking. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. And the hats. Yeah, but of course, after the second mint julep, the hats don't matter. Anymore. True. Okay. So now let's talk about right here in Tampa. I mean, it, it would be a safe assumption. In fact, I'll make the assumption that 20 years ago, this hotel could not have happened. This, your restaurant could not have happened in Tampa. It, it, it just wasn't set up for it. Uh, I would agree. I don't even know if this uh, hotel could have happened in any market in America 20 years ago. 
I mean, the, the explosion of the food culture just across the country over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years has been pretty dramatic. But particularly here in Tampa, I've been in the market for 12 years. And the things that we, we sell and are successful with now couldn't have dreamt of serving 12 years ago. It would have been like, you know, the, you know, obscure or the oddity to the menu. So it's, um, it, it's definitely progressed a lot. And the, uh, the hotel has, you know, it's, it's thrived since the get-go. But, uh, yeah, I don't think we could have probably done this a decade ago. I mean, uh, your whole background, though, from the minute you left Paducah, you were, like, immersed in French cuisine. You were immersed in a whole new wave of cooking. Yeah, I, um, I, I grew up in restaurants from the age of, like, five or six. I was running around a little Cajun Creole seafood place. So I, uh, I knew how to do a lot of things when I was a little kid. I didn't know what they were at the time. <laughs> like, I, I, knew, I knew how to make hollandaise when I was seven, eight years old. I didn't know why it worked. I just knew how to do it. Um, but once I uh, decided I wanted to go, you know, full bore into being a, a chef, I moved to New York and, and hit the ground running. And now you're down in Tampa. Yep, Tampa's been home for a while now, so it's, uh, it's a good mix. It's a big city without being too big. And it's safe to say that we live in a world now, talk about globalization, where you can source just about anything you need. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a country boy from, from Paducah, as you mentioned, but I'm as comfortable. I'm going to keep mentioning that all day long. I just like it, Paducah. You know. It rolls off the tongue. I know. Um, but I, uh, I'm as comfortable working with, you know, soy sauce and, and, you know, other Asian ingredients as I am working with, you know, ham hocks and cornbread. So is ham hocks and cornbread on the menu here? Uh, not right now, but when, <laughs> when we uh, when we opened up, there was a dish called My Sunday Supper, and that was every Sunday at my grandmother's house growing up was a pot of white beans with ham hocks and cornbread. So we did uh, kind of a play on that when we first opened. So I might bring it back in the wintertime. It's a pretty hearty dish. Was it popular? It, it was actually one of our top-selling dishes, yeah. Surprising, right? No, it was, I mean, people like comfort food. I mean, it's, you know, that's our whole thing we do here. We, we say nostalgia meets nouveau is... We take a lot of our dishes are from either from my family or things that I experienced in my career or things that my other chefs may have grown up on. And we, right, for example, you know, um, I mean, we do our hamburgers. Uh, you know, it's a hotel, it's an American restaurant, so we have a burger on. Um, happens to be our burgers made with the uh, ground dried beef from Burns across the road, so it's a really good burger. But we change it up all the time. You know, anybody can come in and you know just get a cheeseburger if they want, but we always do something that's a little bit funkier and different. And uh, they're almost always inspired by, like, what somebody's favorite burger was, like the way their, you know, their dad cooked the burger when they were a kid or whatever. So it's always just named after the staff member from our staff that it was, like, their childhood burger. So, and uh, we, we have a lot of fun with that. Of course, the testing process to get to that burger must be exciting. It's one of the more painful parts of the job. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, being a chef is, uh, it definitely has its upsides. And Pigeon? Yeah, so my other restaurant, Haven Down the Road, um, we have a dish we call pigeon in the style of bacon. We literally take a pigeon and we cure it, salt it, sugar. Um, By the way, I, I will only eat cured pigeon. You know that. And uh, we, we smoke it. So the same way you would do bacon, except it's pigeon instead of pork belly. So and basically it's pigeon that tastes just like bacon. Yeah, except there's <laughs> very similar, but uh, it's different, obviously, because it's, it's pigeon meat, which is really lean and really, really, uh, you know, really has almost like an irony quality. And where is the pigeon from? Um, they're farmed in South Carolina. Good. And uh, they're, not, they're not from the city park. That's, Thank you. That's what, I, I had to ask. I'm that's, sorry. It's one of the common questions if it's a uh, Bayshore Boulevard pigeon. But no, these are farm <laughs> pigeons. But uh, I put it on the menu. Love the dish. Or I wouldn't have put it on the menu. But I never imagined it would, you know. It's one and, of those things that a chef makes to keep myself happy in the, you know, the couple of foodies. And, and you never thought people were going to order it? Top selling dish on the menu. Really? I'm, I'm, I'm now married to that dish and can't get rid of okay, it. Okay. So conversely, what's the one dish you thought everybody's going to love and it just tanked? When we opened the Epicurean, biscuits and gravy. Could not give them away. And I was like, it's such an iconic Southern dish. It was one of my breakfast staples growing up. And we did a great version of it. Our biscuits were phenomenal with homemade pork sausage, fresh sage that we grow on the terrace. Like, just all the basics just done perfectly. Could not give them away. Is it still on the menu? 
No, I had to take it off. I, every, once <laughs> while, every once in a while, we bring it back for a special at brunch every once in a while just to make me happy. But, uh, and my chef de cuisine's from New York. So he uh, he enjoyed giving me a hard time about my uh, my iconic Southern dish tanking on me. So, so you replaced it with bagels and cream cheese? No, no bagels and cream cheese. So you no. can't you cannot get bagels and cream cheese here. Uh, we have bagels every once in a while. Where are the wagons? The wagon is too slow. Can't you ride? It's not that he can't ride. How is it you put it home? They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. <laughs> Why would I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs? You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.